purpose is transforming the world of work and business. Those leading the way are values-based and people-focused leaders who see business as a force for good. Host Kevin Monroe explores how tapping into the power of purpose infuses your business with meaning and touches the lives of your employees while positively impacting the communities you serve. With the Higher Purpose Podcast, here's Kevin Monroe. Hey, it's Kevin. I'm your host, and I want to thank you for joining me today for another episode of the Higher Purpose Podcast. This is number 73 in the series, and it's another conversation about the pursuit of purpose, higher purpose in business, leadership, and life. So thanks for joining today. grateful when you respond and we engage in a conversation. You see, for me, podcasting is both relational and conversational. So I love it when you follow up, reach out, and we engage or continue a conversation that was started here or expand on one, or gosh, even start a brand new one that hasn't been started yet on the podcast. Before we get into today's conversation, let me just make a note. In the past couple of weeks, we've seen a dramatic increase of listeners from South Africa, as well as Trinidad and Tobago. So I want to welcome you if you're joining from those parts of the world or other parts of the world. I'm delighted to see that the pursuit of purpose is global. So if you're a new listener or a listener that has yet to reach out, I invite you to reach out. Introduce yourself. Tell me what you enjoy. Send me an email at kevin at higherpurposepodcast.com or find me on social media. Today, I'm inviting you to join me as we sit and chat with Josh Watts, CEO of MedTrust. MedTrust was recently recognized as the number one fastest growing company in South Carolina. And Josh and I are connected on LinkedIn, and I saw some posts about this, and it caught my attention. And what was different about it was the way Josh was talking about their growth and expansion. It's rooted in purpose, it's grounded in values, and it's even experienced adversity. These articles aroused my curiosity. I reached out to Josh, got to know him better, and as a result of that conversation, I invited him to join me, and that's what's in store for you today. And we do something different towards the end of the conversation. Josh and I kind of change chairs and I give him the opportunity to ask me a question and I provide a micro coaching session for Josh. Love to know what you think of that. So without any further ado, here we go. The conversation with Josh. Hey, it's a delight to welcome Josh Watts to the Higher Purpose Podcast. Glad to have you join us today, Josh. Oh, thank you so much, Kevin. Glad to be here. Hey, with all of my recent conversations, I'm seeking to ground them in gratitude. So, and we're recording this the week of Thanksgiving. So what's something you're grateful for in this moment, Josh? I think personally, definitely grateful for my family and for a wife who is unbelievably supportive and has really allowed me to pursue the growth that MedTrust has. I mean, it's taken a lot of time and energy, not necessarily away from the family, but, you know, just definitely required a good partner, <laughs> you know, that's allowed for me to be away when necessary. And that sounding board or, or stick or carrot, depending on what's needed. <laughs> so definitely thankful for that. And then from a company perspective, you know, really, we have focused so hard on hiring and getting the right people, you know, on the bus, if you will. And these are folks that are just unbelievably bought in to what we're trying to do and and excited about the opportunity. And, you know, it doesn't work without that. We all kind of have a burn the boats mentality and 
it's been really special. Okay. Awesome. Hey, what's something that you believe is important for us to know about you that helps us to connect with you for this conversation? You know, something that everybody asks, and then I'm sure we'll probably talk about this some more, but my background really doesn't have anything to do prior to MedTrust, doesn't have anything to do with the ambulance business per se. My focus has always been on service and people. My entire background was essentially a sales background and people background. I was a recruiter, you know, right after college and then been in sales for a long time after that. And so I think something to keep in mind or that's interesting is that you don't necessarily have to have all of the answers for a particular, you know, industry or job. It's really about what's driving you from a core perspective. And for me, it was, you know, treating people better, than they had been treated, giving them opportunities they hadn't had. So for me, I think just the recognition that we've had a lot of success and it wasn't because I was, you know, a 25-year paramedic in the back of an ambulance. Okay. So what's your favorite way to introduce MedTrust? So we kind of started talking about MedTrust. Some people may not understand the business you own. So what's your favorite way to introduce MedTrust? So MedTrust is a private ambulance provider. A lot of people don't know what that means. Uh, We are not who shows up when you dial 911. (laughs) Truly, when you dial 911, you know, that is, whether it's handled by a city or a county or a fire department or whoever, that's what we term pre-hospital, which means they are picking people up with the sole purpose of getting them to the hospital for that definitive care. What we do is inter-facility, which means primarily our patients have seen a physician already and that physician needs that patient to go to another facility for a different kind of care, maybe than is offered in a lot of cases, a higher level of care. We don't call ourselves pre-hospital. We call ourselves inter-facility, which is the medicine in between the buildings. That's the way we describe it. So MedTrust is based in Charleston, South Carolina, but we cover essentially the coast of South Carolina up to the North Carolina line and are expanding into Jacksonville. And we do on a monthly basis somewhere between 2,300 and 2,500 ambulance transports. Wow. So we are made up primarily of EMTs and paramedics and the support staff that allow those folks to be the hands and feet, if you will, out in the community and with the patients. And there's an enormous opportunity we have found if you put the patient first. Hmm tells a little bit of the story, the heart for the patients at the center of everything we do. And then we support as a company, we support those that are taking care of the patients. Hmm. So the Red Cross is symbolized by the, or symbolizing the care for the patient. And then the circle, you know, we talked about my wife a minute ago. Uh, Everybody's heard the unbroken circle of trust when you're getting married in that circle. We look at as a circle of accountability Hmm. and accountability to the folks, the patients, the people that are taking care of the patients. So that's an internal accountability, but it's also an external accountability to the communities that we serve. When they, you know, dial the 10 numbers that it takes to get to MedTrust, there were a lot of different combinations of 10 numbers they could have called and they called us. And so we have an expectation that they can trust what arrives from a health perspective. Okay. Well, thanks for introducing us to MedTrust and helping us understand, because I'm sure a lot of people don't understand the differences in ambulance transport. Oh, sure. Absolutely. 
so earlier you said, you know, you don't have a medical background. So Correct. what was the story or the journey that led you to being the CEO of MedTrust? I guess starting back, my first job out of Clemson was recruiting. So I recruited primarily in the aviation industry for Lockheed Martin and other companies like that. And, you know, what a fun thing to do at 22 years old, get to be around a bunch of planes every day. And I had grown up in Sumter, South Carolina, beside Shaw Air Force Base. So I'd really grown up around aircraft and, and it was really neat. That was my first time, though, really getting into something that was truly all about people. And from a sales perspective, truly all about sales. I mean, you're moving people in many cases from far away that have never met you. You're doing that all over the phone, building a relationship. And, and it was a lot of fun until September 11th happened. Hmm. And when September 11th happened, a lot of my contractors that were working for us in Greenville, South Carolina, they, they were offered the opportunity to go overseas and work tax-free to you know, take care of the aircraft in kind of in a wartime setting. And so I moved over to the environmental division of the company I was working with. And at that point, I was recruiting environmental engineers and civil engineers and things like that, which was neat. My father was in construction, so I had grown up around watching things get built. So it was interesting. But I met my now wife, who was in healthcare, And she was in pharmaceutical sales and was really good at it. And quite frankly, she was, you know, working less hours than I was, but making more money than I was. And I said, what am I doing here? I need to or <laughs> a different path. <laughs> so I ended up getting a job in that industry in pharmaceutical sales down in Charleston, covering the coast of South Carolina and really loved healthcare. I mean, I loved the people that were drawn to healthcare. I loved why they were in healthcare. But unfortunately, pharmaceutical sales, at least at a primary care level, where I was, was not about the clinical care per se. It was very little about the patient. It was really about who brought the most samples and who brought the best lunch hmm. and really didn't align at all with why I was interested in the business. But now you have the golden handcuffs, right? I mean, who's going to pay you that amount of money to deliver samples and lunch? <laughs> so did that for a couple of years and really felt like, you know, I was good at it you know, won all the awards and all those things, but it was kind of like climbing a ladder, leaning against the wrong building. Mm -hmm. And so fast forward a little while and had kind of a sentinel event where a physician told their staff that they didn't really care what drug I had as long as I got their lunch right. Wow. And I said, you know what? You're the reason why I'm done. I'm done right now. I'm done today. Hmm. You know, I took their lunch and walked out and delivered it to some dermatologist next door that probably had no idea why I was coming. And I called my wife on the way home and she told me I was crazy and called my boss and told him to meet me and pick up his car and his samples. And then I called my father. And when I called dad, I, I said, dad, you know, I quit. And he said, son, you realize you make more money right now than I made until I was you know, in my late forties. And I said, yeah, dad, but I don't believe in what I'm doing. He said, well, you did the right thing. Hmm. So he said, now what? Right. So I got into real estate as a result of this conversation. My dad was a developer and contractor and ended up getting my real estate license in Charleston. And I was selling real estate in Charleston, South Carolina in the early to mid 2000s, which one of the better times to be doing that and was very successful and really enjoyed it. And I focused on development, building stuff. I never really particularly liked selling houses. I liked, you know, working with a smaller number of clients and really over serving them and, 
they had an opportunity to really do that and built a big team of site agents that were working on site for builders and until the music stopped. You know, the music stopped. I took the responsibility of those site agents squarely on my shoulders and started giving those folks draws because there was nobody walking in the door. There was nothing to sell. And fast forward six or eight months and all those savings and all the money from the good times was gone. And had to really downshift or shift out or whatever you want to call it and go back to selling houses. And although I didn't like it, I also liked food with my meals. So <laughs> was doing that kind of business. And two brothers that I had gone to high school with approached me in 2010, late 2010, early 2011 with an idea to start an ambulance company in Florence, South Carolina. And I said, what in the world do you know about ambulances? They said, oh, really, we don't know anything. One of them was a builder. The other was a mortgage broker. And I said, well, you know, why are you looking at the ambulance business? Well, they played competitive golf with a doctor that owned a couple of dialysis clinics. And they said, you know, the problem with ambulance companies is not generally the clinical care. It's the fact that most of them are run by burnout paramedics that never really liked transport. You know, 911 guys, Mm. junkies, whatever you want to call it. And this business on the private ambulance side is way more about service. Hmm. And we think we can do that. So I helped them, you know, get their business plan, you know, finished out. It was kind of along there with them, watching them as they got started and really just fell in love with the, in a weird way, fell in love with how bad the industry was and how Hmm. disjointed and fragmented and all of those things. So I started looking at the industry relative to Charleston and I linked up with my best friend's father who I had known since I was six years old. He was an operations consultant that had also been negatively affected by the market change. He was primarily serving banks and insurance companies. They stopped spending money. So we decided to go in together and we co-founded MedTrust in January, I guess, of 2012 And then I guess we did our first transport in May of 2012. So we kind of originated the company and then went through the licensing. And I think we were officially licensed April the 27th of 2012. And, you know, those early years, it was very much a flat organization. (laughs) We could dispatch off of a napkin if we wanted to. We were only managing one or two trucks. So But, you know, we focus from day one on just being honest with people. If you can do their request, if you can be there when they need you there, you you say yes. If you can't, you say no. When you provide the service, being transparent and sharing the performance back with them, it was unheard of in this industry, but it was, you know, kind of common blocking and tackling for any other industry. So we had a lot of success early on just for that reason, just doing what we said we were going to do. And we had a lot of aspirations and 2013 saw us growing from two trucks to six trucks and had a lot of big plans for 2014 to add kind of uh, an additional layer of clinical competence, which is called ALS, basically adding paramedics and drugs and cardiac monitors and all those things to the mix. But unfortunately, on January the 1st of 2014, Buddy, my partner, uh, was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. Mm. And I'll never forget, I was in Princeton, New Jersey, where my wife is from, standing on the campus at Princeton. 
and phone keeps ringing and ends up being my best friend trip to give me that news. And so 2014 was supposed to be about, you know, continued growth, really trying to go get some good hospital type business. And instead, 2014 was about survival Mm. for the company, for him, all of those back of the house things that he had taken care of while I was out in the front of the house, you know, selling and dealing with people, that whole model got blown up that year of 14 and we almost didn't make it as a company. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Wow. So there's a lot that's gone on here. So let let me recap a little bit, Josh, that part of this, an opportunity found you to go into ambulance business. And what you saw was that the environment was ripe for innovation and the innovation wasn't really dramatic innovation. It was around just taking care of people and doing things that to you were common sense and just taking care of the customer, the customer. And you and I spoke a few weeks ago and in conversation, you were talking about a big change for you was when you realized who the ultimate customer was. Sure. I want to come back to that in a moment. But right. I also want to jump forward in this story because what really connected us was here you are talking about how you started in 2012. 2014 was this really tough year that ended up with the death of Buddy, your co-founder and business partner. Correct. But last month, your company was recognized as the number one fastest growing company in South Carolina. Correct. So something happened. Right. Right. So if I connect your questions, in 2014, Buddy passed in November. A couple of months prior to that, I was introduced to my, really my right-hand person. In fact, we run the company now in a way that we call it the office of the CEO as opposed to, you know, two different roles. But, you know, Lena McDonald invested in the company at a time when we needed investment to even survive and then came on board initially as an advisor, but then Buddy passed a couple of months later. And she jumped in with both feet and, you know, has an amazing background, attorney, you know, Fortune 500, Fortune 100, chief strategy officer of a billion dollar defense company. I mean, you name it. Her wall with accolades is much fuller than mine. But anyway, when she came on board in 2015, we really decided as part of her learning the industry to tear apart the company down to the studs, basically, and decide what we wanted to be when we grow up. And the challenge we saw was that most ambulance companies want to be everything to everybody. They want to serve nursing homes. They want to serve hospitals. And if they really got the opportunity, they'd want to do 911. What we found was that a company serving all three of those doesn't do it well. And there's actually different requirements from an equipment perspective, training, people, personnel, all of those different groups require some different skills and different things. And so we decided that hospitals were the thing we were going to focus on and health system engagement was the thing we needed to do. And so we started hiring people with that background at a senior level that came on admittedly initially for way less money than they had left because they believed in a company focusing like that and the opportunity. So in 15 made the decision, 16 kind of built the foundation from a system and people perspective. And then in the same week of January, 2017, we were verbally awarded our first two hospital contracts. So picture, you know, at that point, we're maybe 42 employees, 43 employees, top to bottom running, you know, six ambulances on a busy day. 
that was in January. By August of that year, we were just over 100 employees and running maybe 12 to 14 ambulances. And then in October of 17, we added another large contract opportunity in the Myrtle Beach market to literally in less than 12 months go from 42 to about 150, 155 staff. And, you know, it changed everything. So these various awards, what they look at is growth over time. They look at revenue growth and they look at people growth, if Mm -hmm. you will. Mm -hmm. And we were able to obviously basically award, make big moves in both of those areas in that time. And, you know, getting ready to do that again between our move to Jacksonville and uh, growth within South Carolina. Okay, but you're not growing just for the sake of growing. No, not at all. No, no. What drives the growth? What's the motivation behind that? So everybody has their why. Mm -hmm. So I have two whys, I guess you could say. One is if you truly believe what you're offering is dramatically better than what folks are currently experiencing or dealing with from a service perspective, then you want more people to have that thing. Hmm. So it's not growth for the sake of growth. It's growth for the sake of offering this thing that we've been able to build, this service offering that we've been able to offer both to the communities and to the facilities and certainly to the patients. But the one that really excites me the most is we have 160 families that depend on this company. And those are the families that work for MedTrust. And, you know, for me, that's the coolest part, having more and more people depend on the decisions that we make and it being a company that they can be proud of. I mean, I always like to say I want a company that's worth owning, which means it's a company worth working for and a company worth working with. And that why of being able to provide opportunity for staff is the most exciting one for me. Wow. Love that. So obviously there have been some challenges with that kind of rapid growth. Have you oh, those? <laughs> what are some of the more significant challenges that stand out as you look back at this? I think the most significant challenge is, you know, initially showing that you can serve one hospital. Everybody expects you to not succeed because you have it before. So, I mean, I think that initial challenge operationally of being able to get a team together, hire a lot of folks, get them all ready to perform at a high level. I mean, that was the initial heavy lift, the the jump, if you will. But beyond that, I'd say being able to maintain quality and performance while you are subdividing your attention to go do other opportunities. I'll never forget the CEO from the first hospital that took a shot on MedTrust was instrumental in the third opportunity that we got. It was a sister hospital in the same kind of corporate structure. And he called me to congratulate me. And he said, Josh, you know, gosh, I just want to let you know, I'm so glad that I was able to make an introduction and get you an opportunity to talk to this other system. And I just want to let you know, I want you guys to be so successful. And with barely a pause, he said, but I better not feel it. (laughs) So what he meant was, you got to be able to grow without falling over. And I think that is the biggest challenge. We're going at a very fast pace. We're adding new clients that are all, they all have 
slight challenges and differences. No two hospitals are the same. No two clients are the same. No two markets are the same. And being able to, at a granular level, focus on that continually, even as you're growing and even standardizing Hmm. a lot of offering to be able to scale, that's really, really a challenge. It's a challenge that, you know, with each new opportunity we have to revisit. And Florida is another layer of complexity or level of complexity. Uh, So as we go to another state, we've got a pretty good handle on South Carolina requirements and expectations. But, you know, we have to go become experts in another market. And that's a huge challenge, but also a huge opportunity because it's a market that there again needs what we offer and, and was very receptive to what we're bringing to the market. Our challenge, I don't know if you've driven down the interstate and you're in a hurry to get somewhere and you're probably going faster than you need to be. So you've got your vehicle in cruise control at 82, but yet your right foot is covering the brake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Waiting for the state trooper. <laughs> you know, I, I know that experience, yeah. You know what I mean? And in a lot of ways, that's how it is. I mean, we're moving really quickly, but we have to keep such a watch on it. In fact, going to Florida, we decided that the main thing that had to happen was that we had to lock down all of our performance, any of our hanging issues out there that we were tweaking or working on, we had to lock those down before we could pivot and focus on, you know, a successful launch in Florida. So we took six months and really just engaged at a deeper level with our clients. And if we could change one thing, if we could improve one thing, what would it be? And really focused on those areas because, you know, the last thing you want to do is get that, hey, why are you expanding? You're not even taking care of your home business. Yeah. Yeah. So that's been very difficult. Okay. There was a line that I read in one of the announcements or something you had shared about receiving the award. And you said, I've never treated a MedTrust patient. So this award is for the hands and feet of our company, our drivers, EMTs, paramedics, communications, and support leadership staff. Now, I don't know, there's a book. Years ago, I interviewed one of the authors, Paul Spiegelman and Britt Barrett wrote this book about healthcare, Patients Come Second. Right. For many, seems heretical because everybody wants to say patients come first. Right. The argument that Paul Spiegelman and Britt made in the book is for patients to come first, actually employees. For patients to get the quality care and extraordinary experience you want them to have, you got to take care of your employees. Well, it's the Richard Branson argument, right? It's the Richard Branson argument. He makes it visibly you know, all over the place. And so, yes, you have to take care of the employees. I think what my take on that, though, is the way that you take care of the employees is them understanding and believing from the top down that you have a mission they want to be connected to. That, to me, you know, taking care of people can, you know, that can mean a lot of different things. You pay them well, you give them good toys, you know, whatever, whatever you want to call it. But for me, the way you take care of somebody that's in a business because of a heart connection, mm-hmm. you make sure that there's good alignment with that piece first. I'd say we kind of turn that on its head a little bit. I mean, we make it about the patient at the end of the day, from the beginning, from the start, because that to me does serve the employees. If they've made the decision to be away from their family you know, to charge in when the hurricanes come and not charge out, they have to be aligned with the company's why. Mm-hmm. And the company's why is ultimately got the heart for the patient at the center of it. 
Now that said, the role of every management staff, leadership staff, support staff is what do we need to provide to those hands and feet, if you will, so that they can focus on that thing. And I think that's the way we serve the employees. It's to remove impediments, to give tools, to leverage technology, to do all those things so that that core reason why they got up in the morning and put the black boots and the work pants on and left their family for 12 or 24 hours so that they're able to do that and focus on that. Hmm. Hmm. Okay, so we're talking about this a very mission-driven, focused organization. Yeah. With a noble mission, and you want to attract people that buy into that. So you just came back. This expansion into Florida is happening as we speak. You're about to launch services there in just a couple of weeks. And you were doing a week of team building, finding, recruiting the right people. Right. How do you do that? What were the important things that you wanted to communicate? You know, how are you connecting and finding the people with whom you go, Hey, these are the people we want to entrust the reputation of MedTrust to in right. Jacksonville. So one of the things that was really helpful that came out of the top 25 process was a videographer did about a three-minute edited segment interview asking me a lot of similar questions that you're asking. Obviously boiled down quite a bit for three minutes, but it allowed us on a people level to describe what MedTrust is all about, why we're here, where we came from, where we're going. So we actually utilized that video as part of a, kind of a social recruiting campaign with Facebook, with LinkedIn. Facebook is very, very much a place where our field staff, it's the likely place, you know, where they're going to see things. And, mm-hmm. and of course, we do a lot of Indeed job postings and things like that. But what we really tried to focus on was rather than highlighting what the job is, you know, you're going to move patients, you're going to treat patients, you're going to do that in an ambulance. I mean, really the EMT or the paramedic job, 90% of it is really pretty similar regardless of the company you work in. It's, you might have better equipment over there or better patient call types over here, but where we differ is from the top of the why. Hmm. And so we tried to communicate that message whether it be the video or the first paragraph, you know, get to know MedTrust, this is what we're about. So we really tried to use kind of those core values as part of the initial offering. This is what we're about. And if that's what you're about, then we should talk. Mm-hmm. The feedback was overwhelming. We have been waiting for a company that focused on these things. Wow. Because you're also overcoming, and it's not to say anything negative about the companies that are in a market at all. It just may be that they're not visibly talking about those things. They're not locally mentioning those things. And we had to overcome being the new guy. You know, it's risky to leave something that's been in place for 30 years and go somewhere else. But we felt like the only way we would be able to do that is to focus on the why and to show people we're going to give them not only the right tools, but the newest tools, the best tools, the things that they need in order to do their job well. So we visibly used a lot of pictures and things about the equipment. And then we used the video to tell the story of the who and the why. And and that's what people connected with. Good. I love it that you use mission and values to attract the people that would buy into that rather Correct. than getting people on and then hoping to import the values to them. Sure. Absolutely. So 
Josh, I want to do something here, something mm-hmm. different. I want to offer uh, coaching to you. If there's a question you have from something in this that you think I might could help you with at this moment, let's turn the tables and give you that opportunity. Sure. So I think, you know, the biggest challenge for me, obviously you've heard culture and the mission and the vision and the values are unbelievably important to us. And Jacksonville is a different state. Thankfully, it's only four hours away right down on 95, which isn't too, too bad. But I think the biggest fear that I have as a co-founder and you know, CEO is, is that we are able to expand and strengthen culture as we spread out. Okay. I'd say that's probably the, the thing. Okay. And from our earlier conversation, I know you have a set of values. Yes. How many values are there? We have seven values. You know, the funny thing is when we talk about values, what I found is that every company has the same seven values. <laughs> well, okay. And this is why it is so important. And I'm glad you brought that up. Right. Surveys show, yes, that almost 90% of the companies out there have integrity as a value. Correct. I'm really worried about the 10% that don't have integrity as right. a value. But what important is what does integrity mean to us here and taking a value and translating it or exporting it into a guiding principle so here's the value and it means we always do the right thing and then we expand that a little further with we do the right thing by putting you know the patient first or so you take a value that's just a word and you bring it to life with two or three sentences that follow after the value that explains what integrity means for us at MedTrust. Here's how MedTrust puts integrity to practice every day. And then you take the other six values and you have those same kind of things. So the values lead to guiding principles. And then, you know, the principles are very visible everywhere. And perhaps, and when I share this, This just isn't Kevin Monroe making a suggestion. This is understanding how the best companies in the world do this. And Ritz-Carlton is one of the best companies. When you look at the Ritz-Carlton, at Ritz-Carlton properties all around the world today, every shift begins with all staff having a discussion of the same value that they're talking about today, the practice. This is what this means. You know, how does this come to life for us today in this shift? So you take the values, put them into guiding principles, and those maybe inform some other practices. And then every week or something, you're making that practice or in the Ritz-Carlton world every day. Everybody in the company is focusing on this same issue today, what it means to put integrity to work. So it's not like we just put them on the wall once. I remember a company some years ago is a beautiful organization and they had this huge mural in the lobby and they're probably 40 words and nobody would disagree with any of the 40 words on the wall. But how do you put forty words to action on a daily basis? So it can't be just words. It's got to be words put into guiding principles, and then, you know, those inform our behaviors or practices. So that's what I would encourage is just how do you systematize that so that everybody knows what this means for med trust. And on a weekly basis, we're in sync in what we're harmonizing to this week when we're doing our work. Does that help? Would that help you think bring that consistency across the company? Right. 
Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We have definitely been looking for different ways to internally communicate the same message, you know, but in different places. So that, that would be a great way to do it. Good. Now, I want to come back to you and I want to ask, looking at all the lessons you've learned in the last few years, what's the message you'd want to pass on to other business owners that are listening to this, thinking about growth or thinking about some of the challenges they've had or maybe even expanding business? What's a lesson that you've learned that you would want to pass along? Don't be afraid of losing control by bringing in really smart people. I mean, I would say that the only way we've been able to do this is to is to start taking hats off. We can't wear every hat forever. And I think being willing to wherever needed, not just in your own four corners of your area, but to look anywhere for those people was probably the biggest lesson. I mean, we live in one of the best cities in the world in Charleston, and we've taken huge advantage of that to recruit really great people regardless of where they are. And that's really why it's worked. I mean, the biggest lesson is not getting caught up in the founder's risk, hmm. especially if you're a founder that didn't know that much to begin with. <laughs> so we've taken the position that we want really, really, really smart people that may actually know a lot more than we do in many ways. But then we come to them and challenge them because Lynn and myself are not coming from a paramedics background or an EMT's background. We challenge them every day to take all that great knowledge and build a different box, build a better box. I think there's both, you know, a challenge and risk there. Building a business that you're not an expert in, that almost reminds me of Peter Drucker, the great management consultant that said, you know, it's easier to see the opportunity for innovation when you don't have the curse of knowledge of everything about the business. At least for you, the humility to say, okay, I know all that I don't know or so much of what I don't know. So I've really got to bring the best of people in the field. And together we create a unique partnership that is really different. Right. What I hear you saying from the way any other medical transport company has, at least in your area, has addressed this. So I love the way you've innovated that and the way you've created this beautiful partnership. And I wish you continued great success. I want to follow the expansion into right. Jacksonville and see how that goes, because I think that's just a beautiful model. And then there are other cities and states to follow that in your plan, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Josh, before we go, is there something you want to say to make this conversation complete for you? Thank you. Oh, OK. <laughs> that's an easy one. Well, thank you. This was a really fun conversation. I love the way social media allowed us to connect LinkedIn, seeing the growth and getting to know you and to share your story here. How do people get in touch with you if they have questions or want to learn more? Uh, The easiest thing is to go to our website, which is www.ridemedtrust.com, or they can just look me up directly, uh, Josh Watts. I'm pretty easy to find on LinkedIn and Facebook. As you know, I can be, you know, emailed directly as well. So I'm I'm one of those that is out anywhere you want to find me, Josh Watts, CEO of MedTrust. Unfortunately, probably find me more places than I know. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for joining us, Josh. Thanks so much, Kevin. I really enjoyed it. (laughs) Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Josh. Something you heard from our conversation is inspiring and encouraging you on your journey. Hey, on a side note, before I share a couple of things that stood out with me, 
I'm wondering if you've had a sentinel event like Josh did. He thought he was doing meaningful work until he overheard a physician's comment about not caring about what drug he sold, but enjoying the free lunch they got from them. That was a wake-up call for Josh. Have you had one of those that's putting you on your path towards purpose? Then I love how relationally rich Josh's journey into medical transport has been. It's a story of relationships. Having friends who got into the business and provide him an opportunity to learn a new industry. And then as he learned that, seeing opportunities for innovation, and much of that innovation was around taking care of people, serving the employees they hired, and the patients, the customers they served. This essence of servant leadership. Love it, love it, love it. And then as we got into this conversation around their growth, what attracted me to the conversation with Josh in the first place was these two whys we heard about. Number one, that if you're offering something, a service that's dramatically better than what many people are experiencing in other providers, you want to share it with as many people as possible. And I love that MedTrust doesn't see themselves as the taxi to get patients from one medical facility to another as fast as possible. Instead, they see themselves as an extension of the hospital and continuing the care for the patient during medical transport. I know I can reflect on that from experiences I had with my mom needing services like that. It makes a difference. The second why is being a company worth owning and a company worth working for. Love how purpose permeates this business and how they look at their ability to impact the families of their employees. And then finally, how do you expand intentionally, not simply trying to get as big as you can, as fast as you can, but how do you scale mission, vision, values, and service as you grow? If those are challenges you can relate to in your business, especially the vision, values as you grow and expand, reach out to me. I can help you with that. Would love to. Hey, join me next week. We're going to be wrapping up the calendar year with a look back and some of the influences that have inspired me on my journey and sharing those with you in hopes to help you be poised for a rich and profitable new year. Hey, thanks for listening. It's always a pleasure to have you join me for these conversations on the Higher Purpose Podcast. Until next time, I want to encourage you to live, love, and lead with purpose. If you're a leader who is or wants to be entrusted with the transformation of your team, join Kevin and six other leaders for a year-long journey of transformation that will help you release your brilliance and help others to do the same. Email kevin at kevindmonroe.com to begin the application process.